You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This is Tanya Pinkins with my You Can't Say That podcast on the Broadway Podcast Network. It's a joke amongst many black folks that if a white person is smiling when they start speaking to you, some bad shit is about to go down. I found most Northern progressives to be excellent at performing tolerance, but their words cannot mask the repressed resentment at political correctness. Sometimes they fooled themselves, but not me. I think people who lack self-awareness are very dangerous. But my next guest is a white guy who I actually think gets his privilege, doesn't apologize for it, owns it, and uses it to serve helping those who but for the color of their skin might have excelled far beyond him. I have been given the dream opportunity to get and sit and listen to people tell me about their lives, one of my favorite things. And so sometimes it's people I haven't seen in a long time, and from the minute they walk in the door, we start talking, and Dory barely has the chance to catch us. So today you have my friend Ron Russell from Epic Next, and you're just going to have to catch up because we started talking and the recorder came in after. Welcome, Ron Russell. Good stuff. (laughs) Um, yeah, it's it's really crazy. Funnily, um, what I what I realized the other night was this whole insane high school system in New York um, is a great example of the impact on an entire system of deeply embedded institutional racism, right? That is like, you know, I was Ibram Kendi. Do you, do you know his stuff? wrote a book called Stamp from the Beginning that I think you would love. It's really research-based. Uh, it's a sort of a definitive history of racist ideas. Mm-hmm. But his new book, How to Be an Anti-Racist, he says this thing like, we're left in a culture a culture of racism with no racists. I mean, mm. he's exaggerating, of course, right? But this idea of like this whole system, this whole crazy high school system was built by racism for racists, right? It, that's why it exists the way that it does. And if arguably some of that is gone and you don't see it on the surface, it's still the whole, the whole thing 
is just about keeping people separated. That's what it's all for. And it's all been built by people, many probably with the right intentions to like try to rectify that. But you make these little changes and it just makes it worse and worse and worse. So, so t- give me an example. You said right now you're in the high school process. What is that? What right. is the high school application process? So you've got, um, you got to choose 12, up to 12 high schools, right? Um, to, to, to go to, you pick, right? And they call it, you know, student choice because you get to choose your 12. It makes sense if the entire system were just lottery based. Okay. That would make a lot of sense. If everything was just a pure lottery, you'd pick the 12 that you want and you'd hope the algorithm works out or whatever number it would need to be to make that work out. Maybe it's bigger, maybe it's 16, maybe it's eight, but it's not. The whole system is rigged with every one of the schools uh, in Manhattan that are schools that have interesting and rich programs. Forget about whether or not they have good test scores or not, but just like do something other than just dumb old style education. Every one of those schools, 90% of those schools are set up with all of these restrictions and rules, right? Where they, Give me some examples. So like, for instance, to get into the iSchool, there's a rubric that um, gives you a certain number of points for what you got on the state math test, what you got on the state ELA test, what you got on each of your four main subjects in seventh grade, attendance, right? So every time you had an absence, you lose X number of points, right? Those points are all put into this giant rubric, right? Figured out, and then they say, okay, well, here is the 130 kids we're gonna offer admission to, starting with the one whose point score was the highest, right? And they go through then and offer those people admission. Now, when they look at Imogen, my daughter's sheet, they start with her number one. They take her number one and they try to see if that matches up with, did they did they invite her to a slot? Okay. Does that make sense? So that's why you have to list 12. Because if your first one, they didn't invite you, then they go to your second one, then they go to your third one. But the, the, the way that the whole thing is set up is, um, makes it extremely difficult to, to make any kind of coherent choice because if you know there's only 26 slots available at school X, right, this school that you want to go to, and your point score isn't perfect, right, which very few kids are, you don't have any idea how many kids are applying, what they're going to pick. Do you get what I'm saying? So Mm -hmm. suddenly what happens is you're just really guessing. You're just guessing based on like, well, I hope this works out. Um, and so as a result, it's, it's sort of painful to go through the process of, uh, of watching. My daughter has a very, very low math score, everything else very high. She's a very low math score and by their standards, I don't think it's particularly low, but by their standards, it's very low. So she is consistently being penalized for that math score at schools who state that their values are things that she would absolutely be the right fit for. Mm. Do you know what I mm-hmm. mean? So you, you, the standardized tests then are taking an, an unbelievably large role in this, even though there's absolutely no proof that they have any impact on whether kids do well in high school. Mm-hmm. In fact, it's proven that you can't really track those two things at all, mm-hmm. right? And they know that, and they would say that, and yet they're holding up this image mm-hmm. of what matters to them. Now, Richard Carranza, the new school's chancellor, what he's doing is he's going in and he's saying, segregation in this city, educational segregation has to end. This is the most segregated city in America. Um, is it one now? Because it used to be Chicago, and this was number, number two. One. We're, We're number, number one. one now. Okay. We're number one. Woo! 
We are the most <laughs> segregated educational system in the country. And so when um, what he's trying to do is c- get these schools, some of these schools that have the right values, to commit to 60% of their students being low-income students, mm-hmm. right, below, beneath a certain income level, which is fantastic. I'm all for it. It's Epic Next. Our youth company participates in this work with him and with uh, Integrate NYC. Um, but it, it it's, it's beginning to feel to me like – why don't we just really fix it? Like, why don't we just fix the whole thing by just utterly randomizing it completely? And then every school in this city would have a population that is representative of the city. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Oh, and then, people wouldn't like that. I know. And then guess what would have to happen <laughs> is the schools would have to actually get equitable resources mm-hmm. to make that work. Right. Um, yeah, but they're never going to do that. Yeah, yeah. No, <laughs> that's, so, that's not going to happen. You know what I mean? So it's like it feels a little bit like this daring thing that Karanz is doing that the Post is ripping all of our partners a new, uh, you know, for. You can say asshole. Okay, I can say asshole. Right? <laughs> Everybody's getting, getting their assholes ripped for, for uh, reverse racism, one of my least favorite f- phrases, um, whatever the hell reverse racism is. So, yeah, exactly. <laughs> what is that? Like, what is pointing, that? Pointing inwards? I, I don't know. I have no idea. But anyway. They, they're being torn up about this uh, because he has been just going through the entire rank of everybody in the schools and saying, you're biased. I'm sorry. You've been in the system too long and you think this is right. And you're not you're not the best person for the job. And you bring a lot of bias into the job. Wow. Right? And he's just firing people. And firing them. And, wow. And so, you know, that's not very popular. But then his this idea that he's going to somehow fix it with this low-income maneuver – Right. I mean, really, like six months ago, I thought that was brilliant. But now that I'm actually doing the system as a parent, I'm like, that is so like nicking around the edges. That's hmm. just he's just messing about a little bit, making they're only going to be about 10 percent of the schools that have agreed to do it. Oh, so doing this low income thing is not going to apply to everybody. They no. have to agree. Yeah. Why do they have to agree? That's my government point. organization. Why don't you tell them that they're doing it. Well, that's strange. I, it's interesting to me because I went to Whitney Young High School in Chicago. Have you uh-huh. ever heard of it? Uh, yes. Whitney Young um, was a, a magnet school, one of the first big magnet schools, and they built it on the west side of mm. Chicago. They spent a lot of money. I guess I'm out of high school now. Oh, my God. A <laughs> long time. 30 or 40 years. I went to school with Michelle Robinson. She Uh was an underclassman. (laughs) Michelle Obama, for those of you who she wasn't that then. But um, it was built on that model of we were moving this school into a very poor neighborhood. Mm -hmm. And so a percentage of those students were guaranteed placement in the school. Mm, Uh, It also had a a school for deaf or hearing impaired was the, the terminology at the time. And the school was built on trying to maintain this racial and economic balance for all the students. And it it consistently has really, really high test scores. So, you know, I guess I have a sort of bias towards that kind of program because that's the kind of program I think I got into. Though definitely high test score people could get into that school as well. But it was like you couldn't not let people who lived in that community go to that school. They had the the right to go to that school because it took over their community. Right. And I think that that's what a fully a fully randomized system would do. It would give everybody real choice. You know, you could pick based on geography. 
you could pick based on something like this school has a cooler arts program than this other school. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. You could pick because you heard they have a great math teacher. You could pick because your cousin went there and loved it, Mm -hmm. right? You just pick, right? Yeah, I think that people try to do things easy. Like, is it Daniel Pink who wrote Thinking Fast and Thinking Slow? And he says, we're just always looking for the easy solution. I feel that way as a teacher at NYU. We now have a policy that we have to ask all of our students on day one, what is your pronoun? Right. And uh, it doesn't tell you anything about a person. At all. But right, now yeah. we've solved that problem. We don't have to worry about discriminating <laughs> against anybody because of their gender because we ask them their pronoun. And it's like, no, actually, it's a lot more complicated than that. Do you feel like the world has become, in your lifetime, much more concerned with covering its ass? Like, Because I, I, I can't shake that feeling. And I'm sure I'm wrong. I'm sure it was just as much cover your ass going on when I was 20. And I just didn't see it. But it just feels like that's that everything we do in running a business, it, it makes me insane. Sexual harassment being like the big thing right now. The endless compliance that my company has to do around sexual harassment, not that I... Not, Not that, that it I changes don't. anything. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I'm, all I'm doing is filling out paperwork. I had you this argument I mean? at, at a big meeting with the unions. They were sitting there, and I was an elected at the time, and they were like, okay, well, we'll get people to watch a video, and we'll get people to take yeah. a test, and then we'll get right. them to sign this paper, and we'll get them to sign that paper. And everybody patted everybody on the back and was like, look what we're doing, we're doing. <laughs> and then, you know, I'm that, you know, this, this, the sore thumb, the, the thorn in everybody's side. I'm like, well, you know, I happen to be a person who, when I am um, being sexually harassed, I freeze. Mm. So I could have read all of your papers and signed yeah. them and done all of the videos. And in the moment that it is happening to me, I leave my body. There is nothing I can do. Right. So I don't think I'm alone in that. So what is all these programs going to do for me? And so there was just this silence. And literally people just tried to avoid me for the rest of the day (laughs) because I had ruined the whole plan that they had solved sexual harassment. And (laughs) the one plan that I did put forward, um, which was, and I put it out to the members of Actors' Equity, I put it out to the members because I knew the the elected would not go for it, Mm. Um, it was to create a third-party online platform that would allow people to report sexual harassment in an encrypted way Mm -hmm. where they could release the burden for themselves and then they were free to not do anything until they wanted to, but the way the system worked was if someone else was also harassed by that person, they would get a notification and it would say, do you want to go, do you want to proceed? Do you want to meet that person? And always putting the power in the hands of the Mm. person. And to me, the beauty of that is that there are people who are carrying these kind of burdens for 50 or 60 years. There was one union leader I met with who told me that uh, one of their members called and said, you know, when 50 years ago, I went in for an audition and um, a producer took off his shirt. And she just thought, why is he telling me that? And I'm like, well, he's been carrying that for 50 years. And taking off your shirt 50 years ago is different than taking off your shirt today. And wow, Mm. if he had a place he could have put that and not be carrying the burden, and it might have helped somebody else because abusers don't stop. Right, It keeps going on. But the the members voted overwhelmingly for that kind of system to be implemented and funded, and the electeds voted it down in favor of having a, um, what was it, a president's committee to talk about it. Right, exactly. You know, they do a lot exactly. of talking about things. We talk about it. And yeah. we, I don't know that there's really a commitment to a solution. Right. I agree. I mean, just recently going through a new protocol for NYU, and NYU is not alone in this. It just happens to be the one I know about. Because we are doing a program with minors <clears throat> there, 
and NYU students, grad students, would be mentoring those minors, mm-hmm. right? So this, just what I just said, becomes an extremely complicated wasp's nest for lawyers mm. because you've got, um, not only do you have outside adults and outside minors coming in, you're also nexusing with people who go to school there, mm-hmm. right? So it creates this kind of crazy web of potential lawsuits and liability, right? And so... In the middle of the process, which took about six months to make it possible and no small amount of money that needed to be added to all these insurance riders that everybody had to be signed off on, um, it just became really, really clear that in none of this were – was there any concern about the students? There wasn't anything about the young people. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. None of this was protecting them in any meaningful way. What it was protecting was when the lawsuit happened or when compliance was violated, then – it was protecting NYU, mm-hmm. right? It was it, arguably they would say, I know what the lawyers would say, they'd say, no, you're protecting Epic. That's true too, but I don't really, <laughs> if someone on my staff in some way endangers a minor, I don't want to be protected. That's certainly not the first thing I'm going to think of. Mm-hmm. I'm going to want justice. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Right. And, if, and, if, and if it turns out that my company was not clear, that we do not allow that, or, or my oversight was not good enough to catch that person, we should close. Okay. Do you know what I mean? Like, I like it. I mean, that's just... I like that kind of accountability. Do you get what I'm saying? I do. I don't need a lawyer to help me make sure I don't have to close because someone hurt a child in my presence. I mean, come on. Like, yes, you know I'm what with I mean? you. So. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Anyway. Yeah, no. That, that, that's going to bring me to my introduction because I don't know how this will be edited together and nobody <laughs> knows who I'm talking to and why we're talking about what we're talking about. But my name is Tanya Pinkins, and as you can tell, we are saying some things that you don't hear very often. Um, my guest is Ron Russell. He is the Epic co-founder, executive director, and site manager at BHSWCA. What is that? And that's uh, one of the high schools that Epic founded, co-founded. Can you tell us what that acronym yeah, is? Yeah, it stands for Bronx High School for Writing and Communication Arts. We call it Bushwaka. And and his co-founder is his wife, Melissa Friedman. Correct. And I, I should have had her here. We'll have to give her her own time. But I figured since you all <laughs> run a company that is in high schools, we needed one of you at a time. Um, Ron has an MFA in directing from Louisiana. State University, a BA in neuroscience theater from Oberlin College, 
after founding the nationally acclaimed Summer Theater Enrichment Program at El Centro de Servicios in Lorain, Ohio, Ron came to New York as education director at Theater for a New Audience. There from 1996 to 2001, Ron administered one of the nation's most in-depth programs for introducing New York City public school students to Shakespeare. Serving over 25,000 students during his tenure, and he created new programming, including the playwriting program at Project Renewal, an assisted living facility for homeless men. He has also directed extensively in New York City, including 15 off-Broadway productions, 14 for Epic, including most recently James Wallert's The Winning Side, Nalaja Sun's Pike Street, and Kate Fodor's Hannah and Martin. Epic's productions have reached over 200,000 audience members in New York City, across the nation, and abroad, including over 30,000 high school students and nearly 20,000 first-time adult theatergoers, asking challenging questions about American politics, history, and ethics. Epic's youth company, Epic Next, has now reached over 35,000 audience members with new work devised from research and interviews about issues of educational inequity and segregation in New York City, empowering families, educators, and policymakers to take actions. Ron's classroom experience includes over 15 educational sites, and his work as an educator in New York City has been recognized by citations from Municipal Arts Society and Mayor Giuliani and Bloomberg. Welcome, Ron Russell. That <laughs> was a you. mouthful right there. Yeah, sorry about that. But what an impressive um, resume. I, I didn't even know all these things about you. When I think of you, I remember um, meeting you, I think, at a panel that was at the Signature Theater mm-hmm. on yeah. diversity in um, in American theater. And, you know, I've come to Epic and, and done some work with the students. And what I often think of you as, I think of you as kind of one of the most woke white men <laughs> I know. No, and that, that really does mean a lot to me because I often say I would prefer a Southern racist to a Northern liberal any day because a, a Southern racist is really clear. They have clarity. And when someone has clarity, they are trustworthy. Mm. You can trust them to be who they are and to act according to their values and their beliefs. And oftentimes, I feel that people who want to call themselves progressive are lacking in clarity. Mm. And so therefore they are not trustworthy because if you push one of those emotions or resentments that they have, they're going to act according to the, to the emotional thing that's coming up rather than to any kind of clarity they Mm. have about things. Mm. So, you know, I feel like when you talk to me about your upbringing and your experiences, I don't feel that you are repressing resentments. I don't feel like you are, you know, giving me shame or guilt or political correctness about what you're talking about. My experience of you is that you walk your talk and so tell us a little about your background in New Orleans. And I know there was a friend of yours that you talk about and the difference between the outcome of your life and yeah. the outcome of his. Yeah, um, I, uh, I, I am, I think, I think I have to say I am a Southern racist. Um, I think that's the right way to say it um, because that stuff doesn't go away. Mm. Um, it doesn't just disappear. I definitely grew up, and I, this is no uh, diss on my parents or any of my family, I grew up in a dream uh, in which white people were had supremacy. Um, and that dream was, you know, to use uh, like Baldwin's quote, the people who believe they are white. I believed I was white. And I believe that afforded me 
not only the privileges that I kind of knew I was getting even when I was young, but it afforded me the ability to, uh, I don't know, argue that those privileges were deserved. Mm. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. As opposed to just get them and mm-hmm. be like, well, that sucks that I got privilege there, but I'm going to take it. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. you know, um, I think a lot of times that's what drives me crazy about Northern liberals is this idea that they want to argue that they earned their way. That there's a meritocracy there's a, involved. That there's a meritocracy involved or that they, they've they always had black friends and invited black people into their home when that was dangerous to do so and all that crap that I'm just like – Okay, cool, but let's just admit it. Like white people grow up in this kind of a dream of supremacy. Very, I'm sure some don't, but I don't know any. Well, I mean, I can I can I imagine that people in Appalachia, you know, like the yeah. people Lucy Thurber writes about, yeah. they didn't grow up that way. And from what Probably true. she's told me, they grew up in the same way that we as black people. I mean, like you think about the fact that poor white people, that's where cracker comes from. Yeah. You know, elitist yeah. white people calling poor white people crackers. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, you're probably right. So <laughs> I, I guess, that, yeah, Lucy Thurber is a really good example. So yeah. who talks very, speaks very well about that. So yeah, um, when I grew up, I grew up uh, in New Orleans and Baton Rouge and I had a, a, a close friend who his mother and my mother were in this sort of very odd relationship that you find a lot in the South where she was what we called our maid, but that's not really, that doesn't, that's not her job description. Her job was sort of being my mom's best friend from my mom's perspective. I don't know what she thought. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? Like, I don't actually have any idea what her view of the relationship was. I'm not going to try to put myself in that. But she was kind of my mom's support system, I guess. Maybe best friend's the wrong way to say it, but like support system. Um, and my mom had had a lot of trouble with my dad and they were, they were separated. And so, uh, did she get paid for her being a support system for best friend? She did. Okay. <laughs> she, she did. She did. That was her job, I guess. I don't know. Again, I, I, I'm, I'm not one to speak on that kind of complicated relationship, but, um, the, uh, she had a son, same age as me. We went to the same schools, uh, growing up. Uh, for a while, uh, until of course my white privilege kicks in and I am given the chance to go to opportunities that he's not given a chance to because of geography probably, but, uh, you know what I mean? Was the excuse that they gave, he didn't right. live in the right area. Um, but definitely it would had to do with, with the color of my skin. I don't remember there being anyone except this one guy named Enoch in the program that I went to. I should say, context-wise, the schools that I went to were terrible schools. They were just terrible <laughs> okay. schools because we lived in the poor neighborhood. <clears throat> okay. Right. They were just garbage schools. So um, they, they had a program for gifted and talented kids, right, that allowed you to, within that crap school, have a better teacher. Like, okay. Three days a week or okay. something like that. You get, you get what yeah, I mean? Yeah, yeah. And as it grew in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, this is when we were living in Baton Rouge, as that grew in Baton Rouge, more and more opportunities presented themselves. So the thing about um, this young man that I grew up with was that he was a really straight-laced kid. He was like the good kid. He always got good grades. Um, we, we spent a lot of time together in and out of all through middle school, but we saw each other some in high school. But it was funny because he ran with this very uh, – Clean cut crowd, um, very much about um, about getting good grades and going to college and all this conversation. And I was a terrible kid. I mean, I was one of the worst kids you can imagine. I was such a little jerk, and no one wanted me at their school. I got kicked out of several high schools. Um, I left sophomore year with just like a couple of credits. I had like just a few credits. You know what I mean? Again, and so what I always talk about is the fact that like nobody's going to let uh, a white kid have that happen to them, 
in Louisiana. Yeah, you're not falling through the cracks. You're not going to fall through the crack. There's like endless trampolines down there when you do slip, you know what I mean? It really, it goes on forever. It's like an infinity of, of nets. And so they ended up kind of rescuing me. In my case, it was by going to this boarding school that I went to, Louisiana School for Math, Science, and the Arts, um, which was in northern Louisiana. And, you know, I, I'm sure from, again, from their perspective, I earned my way into it. I took all these tests and did all these interviews and they were like, oh, you're so bright and we're going to save you. You know what I mean? Um, so, but again, when I think back on that experience at that school, there must, there were 400 students there. I don't think ever during the two years I was there, there was more than two African-American students. There was some diversity around uh, Asian students and uh, students who had, like Indian students. There were several Indian students there, but I don't remember. There was I remember one African American young woman. Um, I think there. Were, I think she had a friend. <laughs> so, but that's kind of Louisiana back then, especially northern Louisiana. Um, and so the uh, so we he and I lost touch. And about five years after I left Louisiana for good. Um, I found out through my mom that he was on death row um, for a murder um, that is just almost inconceivable to me how that could have shook out. And I did some research to try to figure out, well, where did this start? I mean, what you don't just up and murder someone, I don't think. Um, I, um, and no, there was a history. There were problems that occurred when he, he left college under some sort of mysterious circumstances. Do you know what I mean? It, I don't even have to go through the whole story. Basically, um, he just, he was not in a position for whatever reason to um, to have the kind of advantages that I had had. And I, and I don't know if he committed the crime or not. I have no idea. Okay. Um, he's not. He's no but longer on death row. We're all. He's. He's. Is he? Did he survive death he row? He survived death he, row. He got yeah. exonerated. Yeah, he was. He, the evidence. I guess. Uh, I don't know exactly what happened in terms of the exoneration, but he was. He was spared death. He's still in prison. Okay. Yeah. I, I mean, like we're all. I think so much more than the worst thing we've ever done right. in our lives. Right. And I. I did a play, uh, written by Alexandra Camon called Time Alone out in L.A. And I. It was. You know. I met a lot of young people who had murdered people. Yeah. And uh, through some programs that uh, the governor put through, these kids were out. And they were men now. So many of mm. them had spent half their life in prison. And they were really nice people. Like I had an yeah. idea of what a murderer <laughs> what is. Would be, and yeah, then you right. meet these these people. And they're just people. And they're nice people. And they're talented yeah. people. And they're smart people. And they're funny people. And, um, you know, we make this idea of what a murderer is. Yeah. You know, I, yeah. I, I like to think, even just as an artist, that anything a human being is capable of, I'm capable of. Right. So I could right. be a murderer, too. Exactly. You know? Yeah. I know. Yeah. And exactly. And I, I think the, the, the story only makes sense to me. And the only reason I use it is just to speak about the fact that there is really legit no reason why I should be in the position that I'm in. I was be below... A lot of, I think a lot of white men get to where they are just by basically hiding in, and being mediocre and no one calling them out on it. You know what I mean? I'm glad you said just, that. Because <laughs> they're, <just, laughs> they're just white men. But I was not mediocre. I was extraordinarily bad. Do you know what I mean? Like, I, it, wasn't like, it wasn't like I was coasting. I was, I'm not going to even believe that because you have accomplished so much in your you, life. I'm telling you. I was bad. I was a bad, bad kid. Thank you for listening to part one of my interview with Ron Russell. Part two is coming up next. Thanks for listening to You Can't Say That with Tanya Pinkins, part of the Broadway Podcast Network. 
This episode was produced by Dory Berenstein, edited by Alan Seals, with music by Anthony Norman. You can find more information and other great Broadway-related podcasts via broadwaypodcastnetwork.com slash you can't say that. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.